We inform. Religious freedom is about people of faith being able to live out their faith, live out their convictions, no matter where they are. We equip. This is a battle of worldviews. And we activate. We also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. This is AFA at the Core on American Family Radio. Welcome to AFA at the Core with Walker Wildman. I'm Rick Green filling in for Walker today. I'm America's Constitution coach and host of David Barton's Wall Builders Live program. Thanks so much for listening today, and thanks to Walker for giving me the chance to share a little bit this afternoon. I just love American Family Radio and the listeners out there. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in, for staying uh, you know, involved as citizens, for being willing to listen and learn, to look for ways to be discipled and followers of Christ in everything that we do. Uh, it's just an honor to be with you today, and I uh, would love to hear from you. Be sure and take the number down and call in with your comments and questions as we hit some of the hot topics of the day. We're, of course, going to approach those topics from a biblical, historical, and constitutional perspective, and we'll fly through as many of them as we can. But if you'd like to call in, the number is 888-589-8840, 888-589-8840. Now, I know I'm late on this first topic. I know Thanksgiving was last week, but I didn't get to be with you last week. So I just thought, here we are. It's just Monday after Thanksgiving. We're probably all in a little bit of a food coma still. I know I had some great um, meals with my family, actually two weekends in a row. Weekend before Thanksgiving, got together with one side of the family and weekend of Thanksgiving, the other side. So I got to eat a lot <laughs> over two weeks, but had some great fellowship with the family. And, and I hope you did as well. I hope you had the opportunity to get together with loved ones and friends and uh, have a chance to visit and just have that fellowship, that face-to-face fellowship that, that God wired us for. I mean, it's just the way he made us. That's why we're not supposed to forsake the fellowship of the believers. We, we sharpen each other when we're together. We challenge each other. We, uh, we, we bring joy to each other. And, and some of you might be thinking, man, you weren't in my Thanksgiving uh, meal. It wasn't joy. We, we were throwing food at each other. I hope it didn't get that bad. <laughs> I know, I know a lot of the topics of the day can definitely, uh, bring out our passion, right? There's a lot at stake in the world, uh, today. So I hope you did have some good conversations with your family over Thanksgiving. I, I think that's a good thing. In fact, I was encouraging people to not do the thing about, oh, we're not going to talk about religion or politics. Instead, do the exact opposite. We need to talk about those things because civil discourse is what's necessary to prevent civil war. you, you got to be able to talk to each other and talk to people that you disagree with, ask questions, be genuinely curious about how they came to the conclusions that they did and ask them how they came to those conclusions to make them think through it as well. Because, you know, honestly, sometimes we respond with emotion. Sometimes we are just holding on to, you know, something that maybe we picked up from somebody, but we never really investigated it ourselves. And so if we are all seeking truth, if we have that desire to find truth and even challenge our own belief system, uh, then we can sharpen each other's countenance. So I think it's important to get together with friends and family, have those conversations. If you didn't do that over Thanksgiving, invite a family over this week. Ha- have dinner with some some neighbors or, or, or some extended members of your family and open up that discussion. And if you're genuinely seeking to understand them and you're asking questions in that way, you'll have a good conversation. And instead of just trying to convince them of what you believe, seeking why they understand or why they believe what they believe and understanding that will open the door for you to share what you believe. And that's where that iron sharpening iron can happen and you can seek that truth. So I hope you had some of those 
over Thanksgiving. It's a great opportunity to do that. I, I encourage everybody, you know, when these family gatherings happen, have as many people as possible, take pictures and send them to Pope Fauci and let him know you had a big gathering despite all of his recommendations. <laughs> I, I just, I just, I just enjoy doing that. Anyway, um, so let's talk Thanksgiving for a minute, even though again, it was last week. I just think it's important for us to understand the history of this and, and, and why this is a national holiday in America and why it should be celebrated. Um, of course, there's a lot of revisionist history out there. People, you know, try to uh, say we shouldn't celebrate Thanksgiving because it represents genocide against the Indians and all of these things. When, of course, it it wasn't that at all. In fact, it was a celebration with the Indians that had helped and and uh, a celebration and a worship of God, at least on the pilgrims part, to say thank you for even in tough times. I mean, think about it. How many of them had died at that point and how difficult it had been? And yet they were still saying, we're going to give thanks. And, and and that was not the first one, by the way, just as a little bit of trivia for you uh, that I think is kind of interesting. We had Thanksgiving celebrations here on this continent before the pilgrims. And that's the one we typically think of. But if you back up in time, uh, we know of several that were probably more than these that we know of, but all the way back to 1541. So that's, what is that, 80 years before the 1621 celebration that we typically think of as the first Thanksgiving. In 1541, in my home state of Texas, in Paladura Canyon, Coronado and 15 of his men had a Thanksgiving celebration. Uh, in 1564, for all you folks listening in Florida, there was one in St. Augustine, Florida, with the Huguenot uh, colonists, the uh, Protestant colonists there. In 1598, so that's a third one in the 1500s, back into Texas, in El Paso, Texas. There was one with an expedition there that we know about. 1607, Cape Henry, Virginia, with the Jamestown uh, settlers. In 1619, at the Berkeley found, uh, Plantation in, in Virginia, and, and a lot of other ones like that. But of course, we always think of the 1621 Thanksgiving uh, Day celebration and, and uh, the gathering of the pilgrims there. And that's typically the one that we uh, consider the beginning of Thanksgiving. And then the, kind of the same thing for us as, as a nation, um, it became something that the founding fathers thought was important to do, that, that you should absolutely take time to pause and thank God for what we have, both good and bad. You know, the James tells us that we ought to count it all joy when we experience various trials. So even in tough times, when we're experiencing trials, when we're experiencing, you know, tough situations personally or, or as a nation, that we should actually thank God and say, hey, I don't know what you're doing here, Lord. I don't know how you're refining me in this thing, but I know that you are. And the same for a nation. And sometimes it's judgment that we're receiving as a nation for bad decisions we've made as a nation. And sometimes it's just God's way of refining and, and making us better as a people. And so you go back to George Washington. He, he uh, definitely thought it was important to have these kind of Thanksgiving uh, pauses and, and moments. Uh, the Continental Congress did several of these throughout those early years in the 1770s. But I just want to read you one line from uh, one of George Washington's proclamations. Uh, he said, whereas it is the duty of all nations, so that, this is public, not private. I, I just got to point that out. A, a lot of people think freedom of religion only means individuals at home in your prayer closet or inside your church, but don't get in the public square. Why a public official couldn't do something like that and acknowledge God? Well, I mean, the guy that was presiding over the Constitutional Convention, uh, the, the man that was the indispensable man in the American Revolution, no America without him, no United States without him. He said it's the duty of all nations. So that's a public proclamation, a public acknowledgement. He said it's the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God, to obey his will, to be grateful for his benefits, and humbly to implore his protection and favor. He said, and there's a lot more in the proclamation, but he, he signed it saying, I do recommend and assign Thursday, the 26th day of November, 1789, that we may all unite to render unto him our sincere and humble thanks 
for his kind care and protection. You know, if you go if you go back and you read through these proclamations, you get kind of an idea of the mindset of the people that founded this country. You, you, you get a better understanding of their perspective of, of, the, of the individual, of the state, and of God, and who had authority and where that authority came from. It just, it exposes so much about their thinking and their worldview. And it's why, I, I forget the historian's name, but he said that the founding fathers, the Bible was the atmosphere that they were breathing. In other words, they were so infused with the Bible that it just came out in everything that they did. And you see it in these proclamations. And at Wall Builders, we have uh, just, I mean, literally thousands of them. I think there was 1,400 or 1,500 in the first 150 years of the country from presidents, from governors, from, from Continental Congress. I mean, it's just tons of them acknowledging God. That's just so important, acknowledging God. And yet today, as a nation, we have moved away from that since the 1960s. And we've said, you can't acknowledge God. Why, if you have prayer in school or a Bible in school and you acknowledge that there's a God, that oh, that's dangerous. That would, I, I mean, the things the Supreme Court has done to remove God from the culture, exactly the opposite of what the founders of this country did and the leaders of this country. I mean, let's fast forward from the founding era to the Civil War, the ugliest time in America's history, the toughest time. In, I mean, I know we got it tough right now, but folks, get in the time machine and go back to 1863 in the middle of the Civil War. Brothers are killing brothers. 600,000 Americans will die to end the scourge of slavery in our country. It was a difficult, difficult time. And we weren't sure if the nation was going to stay together. It looked like we would very likely split apart. And in the middle of all of that, with all of this nastiness and the ugliness of war, I mean, war is ugly when it's somewhere else. But can you imagine it being in your neighborhood, in your backyard, Literally, in many cases, at your church getting shot up. Or, or I mean, it was it was awful. It was very, very ugly. And in the midst of that, Abraham Lincoln issues his Thanksgiving proclamation. And it's absolutely astonishing to me in that in all of that ugliness, that he could look through all of that and still see God's hand and still be thankful to God for the good things and frankly, even for the tough times. So if you'll give me a little leeway here, I'm going to read his proclamation. I want you to just think about if they were willing to be thankful back then as tough as it was, what are we doing today? I mean, we've got tough times. I, I, you, you, if you've ever heard me on this program before, filling in for Walker, you know I don't perfume it up. I look Eyes wide open. We're going to hit it head on. We do the good, the bad, and the ugly. We look at all of it. But even as tough as it is right now, as bad as the socialists and communists are trying to undermine our nation and destroy our nation, as bad as the education system has been in teaching our children to hate each other and hate themselves and hate their all of those negatives, even as all of those things happen are happening, we have so much to be thankful for. And, and, and being thankful will cause us to want to preserve the goodness in our country and expand the goodness in our country and restore those biblical values. But when we're not thankful, when we just get angry all the time, and there's a time for righteous anger, believe me, but when we're just angry all the time and when we're just depressed, if we allow ourselves to do that, it shuts off the gratitude part of our brain and our hearts. And when we're grateful, it does the opposite. It shuts off the depression part of those things. So being grateful is incredibly important for us as individuals and as a nation. So let me read this this proclamation and, and uh, hopefully get this in before the break. And then after the break, hopefully uh, we'll be able to open up uh, for some calls. But here's what President Lincoln said, October 3rd, 1863. Now, remember, this is just a few weeks after Gettysburg. Greatest loss of life in any in any battle in American history. Horrible. In fact, Lincoln had a very spiritual experience walking through that, that battlefield. Uh, in fact, he said, I wasn't even tr a true Christian until that moment. That was when he truly gave his life to Christ. Here's what he said just a few weeks later. 
in this Thanksgiving proclamation. He said, the year that is drawing toward its close has been filled with the blessings of fruitful fields and healthful skies. To these bounties, which are so constantly enjoyed that we are prone to forget the source from which they came, others have been added, which are of so extraordinary a nature that they cannot fail to penetrate and, e and even soften the heart, which is habitually insensible to the ever watchful providence of Almighty God. In other words, he's saying, just look around, look at all of these blessings, and even the hardest heart will be softened when you recognize what the providence of Almighty God is doing. He goes on to say, in the midst of a civil war of unequaled magnitude and severity, which has sometimes seemed to foreign states to invite and provoke their aggressions, peace has been preserved with all nations, order has been maintained, the laws have been respected and obeyed, and harmony has prevailed everywhere except in the theater of military conflict, while that theater has been greatly contracted by the advancing armies and navies of the Union. In other words, he's saying, at a time when we're fighting ourselves, other nations could have attacked us. We were, we were susceptible to that, and God has prevented that from happening. He said, needful diversions of wealth and of strength from the fields of peaceful industry to the national defense have not arrested the plow, the shuttle, or the ship. The axe has enlarged the borders of our settlements and the mines as well as uh, of iron and coal. And he goes on to talk about all of the, all of the plenty that has happened, all of, the, all of the crops and everything that God has blessed, all of those things. Here's the great part. He says, no human counsel, in other words, no human being, hath devised nor hath any mortal hand worked out these great things. They are the gracious gifts of the Most High God, who, while dealing with us in anger for our sins, hath nevertheless remembered mercy. It has seemed to me fit and proper that they should be solemnly, reverently, and grateful gratefully acknowledged as with one heart and one voice by the whole American people. I do therefore invite my fellow citizens in every part of the United States and also those who are at sea and those who are sojourning in foreign lands to set apart and observe the last Thursday of November as a day of thanksgiving and praise. If they could do it back then, folks, we can do it today. Be thankful for what God's given us. Stay with us after the break. We're going to get to your calls. I appreciate you listening today. You're listening to AFA at the Core. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. After Jesus resurrected Lazarus, his and Lazarus's fame spread. They already planned to kill Jesus, but now, because Lazarus was tangible evidence of Jesus' resurrection power, the chief priests and Pharisees plotted to kill Lazarus too. They never worried about Lazarus before, but now, because he is a walking billboard of Christ's power, they want him dead, too. This, brothers and sisters, is why many come against you. It isn't personal, but satanic forces can't stand your representation of God's power to transform lives. That's why we rejoice when we're slandered for his namesake. Christ's power is on display. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. 
This is Raising Godly Girls Minute with Patty Garibay of American Heritage Girls. In Mark 12, 31, Jesus tells us to love your neighbor as yourself. As you prepare delicious treats, mail holiday greetings, and cross off your shopping list, consider how you can serve those living right next door. When we serve, we teach our girls the importance of service. It is through our actions that the value of volunteering is learned. Ask your girl to write a list of 25 ways she can serve a neighbor this year and create a paper chain. Starting December 1st, complete an act of service each day, like shoveling a driveway, delivering cookies and cocoa, or wrapping gifts. Together we can celebrate the birth of our Savior, knowing the next generation is answering the call to be His hands and feet. We are all called to raise up the next generation of Christian leaders. Learn more about empowering girls through the love of God at RaisingGodlyGirls.com. A vacation with a purpose. Hello, everyone. I'm Tim Wildman, president of American Family Association and American Family Radio. That's what some of our folks have called our spiritual heritage tours, which we're going to be doing again in 2022. Let me tell you what we do. We go on a trip to Williamsburg, Jamestown, and Yorktown. We see early American history there. And then we go to Washington, D.C. and George Washington's Mount Vernon on a separate tour. We do these in June and September. They're perfect weather months in that part of the country. Stephen McDowell, who is a historian and author of America's Providential History, he will be our expert on the trip. So we'll have a historian joining us on these tours. It's going to be a wonderful time together in our nation's capital and in Colonial Williamsburg in 2022. June and September. If you want to go, go to the website spiritualheritagetours.com, spiritualheritagetours.com. AFA at the Core podcast are available at AFR.net. Back to AFA at the Core on American Family Radio. Call in with your comments or questions to 888-589-8840, 888-589-8840. We spent our first segment talking about Thanksgiving. I know we're past Thanksgiving, but frankly, we ought to be thankful like that all throughout the year. As I mentioned, when you're thankful and you have a heart of gratitude, it prevents that depression. It prevents us from getting discouraged. When we stay grateful for what God's given us, we can stay in the fight. We can continue uh, to be warriors for him. We can continue to be leaders in our communities. We can continue to be the ones that bring the Bible to life for people and give them those, those life-saving principles uh, that, 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 frankly, when they're, when they're applied, when, when, when they permeate the culture, everyone is blessed by that. But it begins with being thankful and grateful and then studying his word and actually applying it to life. So what a great uh, opportunity Thanksgiving is for us to do all of those things. A couple of quick catch-up items since the last time I was with you a couple of weeks ago. Of course, uh, since that time, the Rittenhouse verdict uh, came down. And, and um, I, you know, I got to tell you, I was uh, pleasantly surprised. Um, I was worried. I mean, it took a lot of courage for that for that jury to do the right thing. This case, there was absolutely no question this kid acted in self-defense. He should have been given a key to the city and a presidential medal of freedom for what he did because he was so um, uh, wise, frankly, a 17-year-old that was so wise in his decisions, his tactical decisions, his restraint. Um, you know, Most people, and I'm talking grown adults with training, 
would have would have uh, frankly killed many more people than what that kid did that, that were a threat that, that were descending upon the kid as a mob. And yet he only shot when it was absolutely the last moment and he absolutely had to in fear of his life. Uh, so it was just a, a masterful, masterful uh, display of good tactics, good decision making and only taking uh, that action when he had to. Uh, to prevent his own life from being taken. I mean, literally a gun pointed at his head and other situations. So anyway, I was really glad to to see that decision. It was really a trial of self-defense. I mean, that's what was on the line there. Do we still have the first law of nature, as the founding fathers called it, the the right of self-defense? Um, and uh, so good good verdict there. And and frankly, good verdicts. I, I mean, it was it was that was a good week, honestly. I mean, you had the uh, the coffee kid that was also acquitted, uh, who also acted in, in self-defense. So you got a black and a white, you know, young kid that in both situations that that uh, defended themselves and acted in self-defense. And with the coffee situation, it was actually uh, police officers uh, doing a no knock warrant. I think it was. I can't remember the exact situation, but uh, he was acquitted as well because he genuinely didn't know they were police officers and was acting in self-defense. Um, and then the convictions in the uh, Ahmad Aubrey case should have been convictions. I mean, these guys were doing essentially what people accused Rittenhouse of doing, you know, literally just almost looking for a fight and looking for a reason to shoot someone. That's not what Rittenhouse did, but it sure felt like that's what those guys did. And, the, and they, uh, you know, just were wrong in the way that they handled that whole situation. So, I, hey, folks, that ought to give us a little bit more faith in the justice system. I, I certainly think we've right now got a lot of problems with our justice system. It's a two-tiered system. When you look at these folks from January 6th that have been in, in, in uh, jail for you know nearly a year now without bail, um, and yet we let rapists and murderers and others out on bail, it's just crazy what's happening. But that, that, that part of our justice system, I think, is incredibly flawed right now. But for these jury trials that took place over the last couple of weeks, I say, thank you, Lord. We needed that. As a nation, we needed to see those the right decisions made. And, and, and one of the challenges that we have, I was just reading this the other day in, uh, in, in Proverbs is that, you know, an evil person doesn't understand justice. That's why you see all these talking heads on television that have no idea what self-defense is and are calling, you know, Kyle Rittenhouse a murderer and all these ridiculous things. But Proverbs 28 tells us evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand it completely. If that doesn't sum up that the district attorneys in our country right now that are, you know, bringing the cases like against Rittenhouse that should have never been brought in the first place, um, and 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 it, you know, it's like that in a lot of cities across this country. Evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand it completely. That's why we need people in office, especially in these district attorney offices, that understand the Bible and that have that Christian foundation. So hopefully, some of you listening right now. Maybe there's some attorneys out there that are listening that have thought about running for DA, thought about uh, spending some years in public service. I hope you'll consider that seriously. Now is the time for Christian men and women to step up and serve all over our country. We need you. We need you desperately. Uh, all right. So let's go. Let's take some calls. I, I got some other uh, older topics, I guess, that, I, that I, I'll, I'll probably come back to. And then we definitely got to talk about this Omicron variant. Oh, my goodness. It sounds so awful. The Omicron variant coming in from South Africa and all over. I mean, it's going to be so bad. It's so much worse than anything we've ever experienced the world. I mean, that's what they want you to believe. They are never going to let go of this, folks. They're going to use this to control your life for as long as you let them. You know, all these scare tactics and Joe Biden shuts down travel from eight African countries and it's so bad. We got to keep. And then we find out Oh, no, actually, it's really mild. Like, like the it's maybe a little bit of muscle ache for a couple of days. You might get the sniffles and a cough. Nobody, I mean, I, I have seen nothing in any story about a death rate. 
There's no case fatality rate because I don't know that anybody's even died from this thing yet. Uh, we are so naive and so, I mean, we're just, we're being led by the most highly educated idiots in history. They don't care about the science or the data or real life or acknowledging that, you know, guess what, folks, we're all going to die. And people die every day from all kinds of diseases and accidents and everything else. Um, and, and so they're, they're, they're but they're going to use these scare tactics to get us to just cower down. And, and, you know, I mean, they're already hinting at more lockdowns and shutdowns and controlling your life. And, you know, Joe Biden's threat now that, that as long as you get vaccinated and you wear your mask everywhere you go. So now think about it. They're, they're actually saying it out loud now. Not only do you have to get vaccinated, you still have to wear the mask basically from now on. If you do that, we won't shut the country down. I mean, that's the threat that just came out from the White House. So they, there you go, folks. All right. That's the Omicron. They didn't they didn't use the next letter uh, in the Greek alphabet that they were going to use Z because they thought that might be offensive uh, to, to the Chinese government. They didn't want to offend the communists. So they skipped Z just to not offend. Like You can't make this stuff up, folks. All right. Let's go to the phones before I get off on a tangent for an hour about this ridiculous Omicron scare. I cannot believe we are so easily duped by this stuff. Okay, Robert in Miss, I think it's Mississippi. Robert in Miss, Mississippi, are you with us, Robert? Hey, yes, sir. Can you hear me? I hear you, brother. Thanks for calling in, man. What's your question or comment today? Uh, I was <clears throat> looking for comments, constitutional and biblical thoughts. I'm trying to work through something here. Um, sure. On the, on the topic sentence of people are not government property. Because I can argue a little each way, but I really haven't come to uh, how do I handle this crazy world I'm living in right now? <laughs> so, <laughs> while honoring God, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, your statement's absolutely right. People are not government property. The, the people in our nation, in our system, uh, set up government. So government answers to us, not the other, other way around, for sure. And I, is there a particular instance that you're thinking of or a particular policy that makes you feel like property of the government? Uh, the vaccine mandates, for sure. I mean, yeah. uh, you know, I, I have a medical background. Uh, I'm able to research stuff myself, and yet they keep trying to put things on uh, employers with 100 or more. They, they're forcing hospital staffs. I mean, you know, I see it. The way I look at it is if they win the 100 or more employees, they've won because people with less than 100 employees are less likely to fight. I mean, it's yeah. just, it's like the last domino, but you know, it's like, it's the blockade. So yeah. uh, that's one instance yeah, I think, uh, for sure. Uh, no, I think you're right, Robert. I think that's the one that's right in front of us. Um, and, and the most glaring and frankly, the most threatening, because if, if this is allowed to happen, what we're essentially saying is that, that government does have control over your body, that you, that you are property of the federal government, not even local or state government, but these far away, this far away government in Washington, D.C., and here's the good news, Robert. I, I, I'm actually more optimistic about this fight than I have been in a long time because of the Fifth Circuit decision a few weeks ago that was so strong that, that struck down the, man, the mandate. And OSHA actually backed off and they put it all on hold because of, of that Fifth Circuit decision. But when you read that Fifth Circuit decision, it's so full of common sense and science. I was shocked because for a year and a half, I've been screaming about the fact I can't believe these judges are kicking the can down the road and not defending basic constitutional rights and asking the question, does this virus create a compelling interest for government to take away your rights? And 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 is there implementation, if there is a compelling interest, is it being done in a narrowly tailored or least restrictive way? That's normally the questions we would ask. 
in any kind of a constitutional challenge like this. And and we just haven't been asking them. And the Fifth Circuit did. And, and they nailed it. And they basically put OSHA in their place. And it was kind of funny reading the opinion. They actually started off with, OK, if this is such an emergency, then why last June, a year and a half ago, did OSHA say there's not enough of an emergency to have to have these emergency orders and force something like this? And then if it's such an emergency, why did it take you two months to come up with your 439 page regs? And why are you giving us two months <clears throat> before you actually implement it? That doesn't sound like an emergency. Anyway, Fifth Circuit took them to task, went through the constitutional questions. It was great and put them on hold. And I, I think ultimately we win this at the Supreme Court level. Now, it has been moved over to the Sixth Circuit. There's a lottery system when you have a challenge in all uh, a bunch of circuit courts. And there was actually uh, cases in all 12. So this thing was was huge. Sixth Circuit won the lottery. There, That name was drawn or that court was drawn. Um, it's it's a pretty Republican court, pretty good chance that, that a similar decision will come down. But honestly, somewhat irrelevant because it's going to go to the Supreme Court. And I do think ultimately we'll win. And you're 100 percent right on this, Robert. If the if the employers of 100 or more cave on this, the smaller employees, it's a lot harder for them to to fight back. I've been really disappointed in a lot of these big employers like the CEOs of these airlines that just bowed to this even before it was an executive order or a reg just because the president gave a speech. They immediately said, we have to implement this. I mean, that's that's what happens in little third world countries where you have a tin pot dictator that goes out on the balcony and gives a speech and then everybody does whatever he or she said. We don't do that in America, but that's what these CEOs, even like CEO of Southwest Airlines did. Really disappointing. Uh, but a lot of people are fighting back, man. I'm out here in in Nevada doing one of our constitutional defense courses. I got a couple hundred people here with me. We're doing constitution in the evenings, handgun training during the day. It's fun. Everybody out there should come to this. Uh, PatriotAcademy.com if you want to learn more. But anyway, I'm doing one of these classes. And last night we were we were going through a crash course on the constitution. And it was so great to hear people all across the room. One of them was a flight attendant that's part of a lawsuit against her airline to stop all this ridiculousness. Uh, another one was part of a, of a group of, of airline employees suing their employers. There's thousands of lawsuits now, and I think we're ultimately going to win, but it's going to be painful in the process. So, Robert, short answer is you're definitely not property of the government. But that example you just gave, if we lose this battle, you will be property of the government. The government will be able to tell you what to do, tell you what to do with your body, force these things on you. It's ugly right now. I mean, I got friends in the military that are being dishonorably discharged. We're talking about Navy SEALs, Black Hawk helicopters. Uh, there's a gal that's a, a, a Navy a, a Marine a fighter jet pilot. And, and she's being threatened with dishonorably dis, being dishonorably discharged. And think about what that means. For, these are the best of the best in our military. And if they're dishonorably discharged, no concealed carry license back home, a lot of them won't be able to get jobs. I mean, it, this is evil stuff, what we're doing to these members of our military. So keep praying for them and the attorneys that are represent them. We've got to win those cases. It, it, it's just a shame how we're treating uh, the best of the best in this country. Robert, thank you for your call. I'm sorry I went off on a tangent there. Ron in Ohio. Ron in Ohio. How you doing, Ron? I think it's Ron from Missouri. Ron, I Missouri. think you're there, but I can't hear you. Yeah, it's Ron from Missouri, Rick. Yeah, it's Ron. Oh, Missouri. Ron from Missouri. Go for it, Ron. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, sir. I hear you now. Yes. Yeah. What a what I wanted to say about the Supreme Court is that uh, the Supreme Court has a prayer before each session, and they actually have a chaplain, and the salary used to be $110,000. I don't know what it is today. And the uh, on the slavery issue, uh, slavery was on the way out. England had banned slaves and was attacking the Jewish slave ships on the ocean, and the southern uh, plantation owners 
actually only about not under it was under three percent even owned slaves and if slavery was the issue my dumb question is why didn't they release the slaves in the north all soldiers in the north down there fighting supposedly over slavery and dying and meanwhile north had the most cruel slave masters up there and they didn't release them after the end of the civil war for five years and you never heard jack about that what really well, Ron, I, I tell you what. <clears throat> one thing I'll say about this question, and look, I'm a I'm a I'm a Texan to the core, and I and I get a lot of hate mail whenever I, I, I take this position. Uh, but I think the facts bear it out. I even have a debate with uh, some of my family over this quite often. But you know, if we go back to the age old question, was was the Civil War over slavery or state rights? Um, it was over states' rights, but the states' right to do what? And in this case, the states' right to have slavery. And if you look at all the secession documents of the states, they clearly said in their secession documents it was to be able to keep keep slavery. So, I, you know, not to debate the the issue of, of whether or not slaves were released in the North initially or, or not, but the big issue was what was the war truly about? And even though I think after the war, because of abuse of the 14th Amendment, uh, we, we have grown the federal government way beyond what it was supposed to be. There's no question that it was about slavery, that it uh, unfortunately had to happen to end slavery. And there's, you know, there's great scholars and, and folks like, you know, Walter Williams and Thomas Sowell and others um, that, you know, as black Americans said, hey, if we hadn't fought the Civil War, slavery would have been gone in another 15, 20 years. And that, and that, that may have happened. Um, and, you know, hindsight's 2020. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, that's 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 my thoughts on that one. I, I, I frankly, I'm, I'm glad the Republicans did what they did. The racist Democrats in the South, they held on to, to bigotry and, and those things as long as they could. That That's why once Reconstruction ended um, and the Democrats took back over in a lot of those states, that's why you had white only primaries and Jim Crow laws. That was the racist Democrat Party uh, that, that did those things. And we've, we've kind of forgotten that. We don't teach that in our schools anymore. We should be reminding our kids that, hey, it was the Republicans that, that freed the slaves. It was the Republicans that, that fought against all of those racist policies that the Democrats were implementing in the South. And, that, and those are just facts. I mean, those are things we need to teach and people need to know. Uh, but I digress and I, and, I, and I get off on tangents as usual. Um, we got a lot of callers on the line. So when we come back from the break, we'll hit some of these. Got some great questions, it looks like, about the Constitution, some about the Rittenhouse trials and, and more about schools and states' rights. So looking forward to those calls when we come back from the break. And I'm glad you're listening with us today, folks. My name is Rick Green, by the way, America's Constitution coach. Walker Wildman has the day off. Actually, he never takes the day off. He's working somewhere. I can promise you that. Uh, but I'm thrilled to be filling in for him here on AFA at the core. And we'd love for your calls to uh, to be included in the, in the show today. 888-589-8840 is the number. 888-589-8840. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back in a moment on AFA at the core. Thanks for listening. We'll be right back. Too busy to catch your favorite shows on the radio? Have no fear, because the AFR app is here. Download the app to have access to live broadcast, music streaming, as well as each podcast. Whether you're at work, at home, or on the go, it's easy to listen to AFR. The AFR app is available not only for Apple and Android users, but also on Amazon Alexa and Roku. Download the AFR app today at AFR.net. They should face some sort of consequences. At the very least, what you put on there should be true. And if it's not true, 
then it should be actionable. Major social media outlets are finding ways to block the conservative evangelical viewpoint. The American Family Association will no longer be canceled. Announcing AFA Streaming, our own video streaming platform, which will allow access to all AFA video content. AFA Streaming is now available. Learn more at AFA.net. We are not allowed to have a U-Haul that comes to heaven with us. Anna Marie Travers has an AFA Foundation charitable gift annuity. The Lord has given us uh, things that we can uh, acquire, but you know, everything will stay here. And I'm so thankful for, for the American Family uh, Annuity Fund where we can give some to something that we so highly value. Through the AFA Foundation, a charitable gift annuity provides a monthly income as well as a legacy of support for the American Family Association. I cannot uh, recommend a, a better person than uh, they have at AFA to help you with getting your annuity fund. It was so easy. Call the AFA Foundation today to find out how you can set up a charitable gift annuity. Just call 800-326-4543. Extension 345. The Wrong Order of Events. This is Ken Ham, author of the book on millions of years and church compromise in six days. Many Christians claim that God used the Big Bang to create, but there's a lot of problems with that idea, starting with the order of events. Genesis says God created Earth first. The Big Bang says the sun came first. Genesis says the Earth was initially covered with water. The Big Bang says the Earth was a hot, molten blob. Genesis says plants came a day before the sun. The Big Bang has the sun coming millions of years before plants. Genesis says Earth was initially a paradise. The Big Bang says Earth was a molten blob. The Bible and the Big Bang certainly don't agree about the past. Instead of starting with man's ideas about the past, we should start with God's perfect Word. Find out more about the Bible, origins, creation, evolution, and other fascinating topics at AnswersRadio.com. You'll find answers to your Bible questions at AnswersRadio.com. AFA at the Core podcast are available at AFR.net. Back to AFA at the Core on American Family Radio. And we're back here at AFA at the Core with Walker Wildman. I'm Rick Green filling in for Walker today, America's Constitution coach. And I want to invite you tonight, if you'd like to be with us on one of our live classes, we do these for free and it's really fun. We, we watch you know, a video about some foundational principle, and then we take questions. And I got some really cool guests on tonight. David Barton will be with us live and Dr. Carol Swain. She's amazing. And we're actually going to play a couple of videos we did with Dr. Swain. Goodness, but I guess it was about four years ago. We did a series called Foundations of Freedom. And several of those programs are with her, several with Michelle Bachman, several with uh, me, you know, David Barton and myself. I mean, they're just fun episodes diving into these principles. And tonight we're going to watch two of them, the Bible and civil justice. And then the other one is called the Bible and the judiciary. Really powerful stuff. And of course, we're uh, we're going to be live answering questions as well. So we're going to do that at seven o'clock central time, eight o'clock eastern time, five o'clock um, on the West Coast. And so if you want to join us, it's totally free. Go to biblicalcitizens.com, biblicalcitizens.com. You just click the button there for the live Monday night classes. You can ask questions and interact with us. It's going to be really fun. Looking forward to that and hope that you will be able to join us, biblicalcitizens.com. That's also where you can sign up to be a, a coach of our biblical citizenship class, which, by the way, uh, thank you. Thank you. A lot of our listeners here 
um, on AFR joined us as coaches. And a couple of weeks ago, I was really talking about we were gonna oh, we were gonna break ten thousand. Could you help us out? And you did, and we broke ten thousand Constitution coaches now. Actually, ten thousand two hundred and fifty-seven to be exact as of today. And thank you, many many of you are part of that coach team and network across the country and hosting classes in your home and at your church and at the local library. So thanks for being part of the solution and helping us restore those biblical values and constitutional principles. And speaking of constitutional principles, Thomas is calling in from Virginia about a constitutional question or comment. And uh, of course, it's always good to have somebody from Virginia calling in to talk about the Constitution since Madison and so many other greats came from your great state of Virginia. Thomas, how you doing? Thanks for calling in. Yes, sir. I'm doing very well. I hope you I hope you can understand what I'm saying because uh, I had a stroke back a couple of years ago. My voice is a little messed up. Well, you sound great to me, man. All right, brother. Hey, look here. I noticed that a lot of people talk about this Constitution that we have, but uh, as I was reading through it uh, not too long ago, I come across I come across Section Six, and it primarily, just to uh, paraphrase it, it gives us or somebody the authority to arrest these politicians that are committing treason within the ranks, as long as they're not in office. So when Nancy Pelosi is on uh, on her own property at her house, somebody, either either the citizens or the military or the police, has the authority to arrest them for treason. Now, there's been a lot of treason going on in this poli- in, in this political arena that we have going on in this in this country. And I think it's time to, that we as Christians and those that are studying the Constitution rise up and exercise our right to arrest these people that are committing treason. Well, first of all, I want to say, Thomas, thank you for reading the Constitution. Just as you started and you said I was recently reading the Constitution, that alone encourages me. I have heard so many people going back to the founding documents over the last year and a half. And, and part of it's just, wow, can government do this to me? Can they shut down my business? Can they do all these things? So a lot of people, millions of people, are asking those questions that, that have never done that before. And they're actually reading the Constitution. So, Thomas, first of all, thank you for, for really following John Jay, first Chief Justice of the United States Supreme Court and one of the authors of the Federalist Paper, following his advice. He said, every member of the state ought diligently to read and study the Constitution Teach the rising generation to be free, knowing their rights, they'll perceive when they're violated and be the better prepared to defend and assert them. So he was saying, if you read the document, if you study the document, you'll recognize when those public officials are violating the document and violating your rights, and you'll know how to properly, peacefully respond to that and actually defend those rights and defend uh, that liberty for future generations. Now, when you say Section uh, 6, I assume you mean Article 6, uh, of the Constitution, I, you know, I don't. I, I'm not sure which part you're talking about. Uh, citizens being able to. I, I don't know of a section that says citizens can go arrest those public officials. I, I was assuming you were yeah, going to talk about Article Six, being the supreme law of the land, and and uh, whether or not you know some of these federal laws are in pursuance thereof, which is what the supremacy clause says. So if they're unconstitutional, they are not the supreme law of the land. Um, but I, I must be missing something. So I'm not sure which part you're talking about. But I wouldn't recommend you know citizen arrests of these of these public officials. I don't think that's going to get us where we really want to end up. I think you definitely want to be pushing for their prosecution, but doing that through those government channels and not citizen channels. Okay. This is what it says. It says the senators and representatives shall receive a compensation for their services to be ascertained by law and paid out of the United States treasury, United States. 
They show okay, you're in Article One. You're, you're you're in Article One, not Article Six. Okay, sorry. Go ahead. Article One, Chapter uh, Section Six. Section Section Six. Okay, I I I I apologize. I thought you were in Article Article Six, not Article One, Section Six. Go ahead. They shall in all cases except treason, felony, and breach of peace be privileged from arrest during their attendance at the session of their respective houses and then going to Correct. and returning from the same. And that any speech or debate in either house, they shall not be questioned in any other place. That's right. Now, that's not, that's not, that's not suggesting that they could be arrested by citizens outside of those places. It's actually preventing the law enforcement from, from being able to stop them from attending that session through some bogus arrest, you know, and so, you know, because basically what was being done in, in, in some countries and frankly, in, in some of the colonies prior to uh, the constitution is that, you know, some, some bogus arrest would happen just to keep them from being able to be there at the legislative session to vote. So as you were literally trying to manipulate the vote. So that's really what that's, what that's preventing is stopping them from being able to go do their job. Okay. All right, but great question. <clears throat> but I don't recommend citizens trying to arrest Nancy Pelosi. Let's put let's make sure we're clear about that one. But really good question, and very glad that you are reading through the Constitution. That's where it begins, folks. We got to be actually studying the document. So go study Article One, Section Six, just as as uh, as Thomas has brought up, and and study what they are supposed to be doing and what they're not supposed to be doing. Go ahead and read on down through the other sections, and you'll get to Section Eight, Article One, Section Eight, and it will actually list for you all of the proper functions of the federal government, the things they actually have authority from us to do. And anything outside of that is unconstitutional. They should not be doing those things. If there's not an amendment that's added a power to the bucket of powers listed in Article 1, Section 8, there's no enumerated power there, then they should not be doing it. And we need to stop them from doing it. All of these departments we have at the federal level, Department of Agriculture, Department of Energy, Department of Education, all unconstitutional. There is no authority in the United States Constitution for the federal government to do those things. That doesn't mean we don't want education or don't want to particular, you know, have government involved in some of these things, but it should be done at the state level and at the local level, not the federal level. So keep studying the Constitution, folks. Go to biblicalcitizens.com if you'd like to take our biblical citizenship in modern America course, or if you'd like to join us on Monday nights for the free class, you can do that at the website there as well, biblicalcitizens.com. Eddie is next in Louisiana with a Kyle Rittenhouse question. Eddie, how you doing, man? Yeah, man, okay. How you doing? I'm um, doing wonderful, yeah, much I, better than I deserve. <laughs> yeah, me too, really. <clears throat> yeah, I was thinking about that, that Rittenhouse, Kyle Rittenhouse. Uh, you know, you got, you got in that fight with uh, the three of those guys, and two of them wound up passing away, and the other one was just wounded. Well, they, what happened to the wounded guy? You know, he was going to do all the things he, should, he shouldn't be doing. You know, he's breaking the law and everything. Uh, what did yeah. they do about him? Yeah, why are they not prosecuting him? He's not yeah. even in jail. Well, Eddie, yeah. I agree. I mean, that's... Yeah, no, if you're if you're a Democrat uh, or you're, you're a, a BLM Antifa protester, you know, you pretty much get a pass on these things. Uh, but if you... If you're there to provide medical care and and protection of, of private property, then those DAs want to come after you. I mean, that's why I think the DAs there all need to be fired. They need to be prosecuted. Certainly, ought to lose lose their job. Just just pressing this thing against this kid was was insane. And Eddie, you probably heard some of the same things I have. You know, I have even friends and <clears throat> and family that say, "Well, he shouldn't have been there in the first place." I disagree. 
I, I, I think he's a hero for going, even at 17 years old. You know, if the mayor had not been preventing the police and the firemen and the and and the adults from doing their job, then this kid wouldn't have had to step in and do the job. And we had 17 year olds his age jumping off of boats in World War II and storming those beaches. They lied about their age to be able to go fight. And they saved not only our country, but the world uh, from the evils of Nazism. And, and, and uh, you know, those kids were heroes. Why is this kid not a hero? He stepped up when the adults weren't willing to do their job and the, and the government was not willing to do its job. And he was willing to defend his friends and family in that community that he was a very much a part of. And I know part of the, you know, the, the, the left-wing media mantra is that he just showed up at this town that he had nothing to do with, drove across state lines. I mean, how many times have they said that? This was his dad's community. This was where he had friends and family and was involved and worked and did all kinds of things. This was his town. Uh, and, and, and I just think he's a hero for doing what he did and, and doing it masterfully and effectively. He saved lives because of his restraint. And let's not forget the guys that he shot, they were all thugs, literally. I mean, one of them was a pedophile who raped kids. I mean, that's the kind of people that were on the side of going after Kyle Rittenhouse. And when this trial happened, I said it, it's good versus evil. And depending, you know, if we can't see good versus evil in this trial, then we truly are living in a Romans one time where we have been blinded and professing ourselves to be wise. We became fools. Great call, Eddie. Appreciate you calling in from Louisiana. David in Arkansas. Oh, no, I'm sorry. We lost David in Arkansas. <laughs> sorry about that. I'm not reading my, my notes well, but go hogs go anyway. Uh, so listen, I want to encourage everyone out there to get involved in some sort of constitution study. If you're going to be a good citizen, you got to know your rights. You got to know when they're violated and be able to defend and assert those rights. And the only way to do that is to study. And I know, I know you probably were like me. I mean, when I was in high school and college, I slept through any government class or history class. Those things were boring to me because all we did was memorize dates and names and that sort of thing. Then I found David Barton. And somebody gave me a cassette tape of David Barton. And I started, yeah, I'm, I'm that old. I was listening to cassette tapes. I started listening to his cassette tapes and I, and I just fell in love with history because he brought it to life. He gave it to us through the eyes of the people that lived it. And I loved that. And, and all of a sudden I started getting interested in these things. I got every cassette tape he put out. That was my university on wheels. Listen to that stuff through law school. And then when I started serving in the state legislature in Texas, and it just it made me love history, love the Constitution, love these principles. And then I started studying the Bible and what the Bible says about these principles of liberty. And that's where this biblical citizenship in modern America course came from, was this study of saying, OK, if I'm going to be a good Christian, if I'm going to be a true biblical Christian, if I'm going to follow the Great Commission, which is to make disciples of all nations and, and obey all of his commands, then I need to know his commands. I need to know what the Bible says about, yeah, taxes. I need to know what the Bible says about abortion, about marriage, about inheritance tax, about minimum wage. Did you know the Bible speaks to all of these things? And so I started studying that and saying, okay, what does the Bible say I should do? What should my position be as a biblical Christian? And then how do I influence other people around me? And how do I live this out as a citizen under our constitutional republic? So that's why we call it biblical citizenship in modern America. How do we do this in a constitutional republic? How do we do this in a biblical way? That's what the course is all about. I want to encourage you to host it in your home. It's totally free. Go sign up today at biblicalcitizens.com, biblicalcitizens.com, entirely free. You can either host a class in your home or your church, 
or you can join us on Monday nights and be a part of that that class where we watch the videos and then take questions. All right, we got just a couple of minutes left. We might get one more call in, 888-589-8840 if you'd like to call in with a final comment or question. Um, I, I have to hit this inflation issue real quick in our final minutes together because we have a presidential administration that actually thinks dumping more money on the market will help with inflation. Now, I already told you I slept through history and government. I did the same thing in my economics class. And apparently every member of the Biden administration also slept through their economics class. Now, after I got out of high school and college and started falling in love with history and government and the Constitution, I started taking other economics classes and studying these things. And then in college, I, I ended up getting a finance degree. So I've been through a lot of these study of how inflation happens, what causes it. And folks, anybody with any common sense about economics knew last summer when we started dumping trillions of dollars on the marketplace and paying people to stay home, just think about the process. You're giving everybody money to spend in the marketplace while telling everybody to stay home and not make the products that are going to be sold in the marketplace that more and more people now have money to buy. So if you have more and more people with the money to spend in the marketplace and fewer and fewer products being made in the marketplace, what happens? Prices go up. What are prices going up? Inflation. And so we've had this runaway uh, you know, government spending. We're getting close to $10 trillion being dumped on the marketplace while telling people not to go to work. Stay home. Don't go make anything. Don't show up. Of course, we're going to get inflation. And so how do you stop that inflation? You stop dumping money on the market. You restrict the money supply instead of adding to the money supply. And you encourage people to go to work. You encourage more production. Uh, because, you know, if you don't do that and you keep telling people to stay home, you're going to have more, fewer and fewer products. So it's a formula. It's a disaster. And this, the Biden administration is just adding fuel to the fire. If they pass these things and they keep pushing this direction, the inflation is only going to get worse. And folks, that's the consequences of elections. We put people in office that do not understand basic principles of liberty, basic economics, and it's created a disaster in our country. Now, that's not the first time that's happened. So don't get all doom and gloom on me as we close out here. The good news is that the principles of liberty work every time they're tried. God's ways are not only right, they work best. And so I'll be back with you this Wednesday and Friday, and we're going to talk more about those principles, how to apply those principles, and what you can do about it. Thanks for joining us today on AFA at the Core. I'm Rick Green, America's Constitution Coach. Join me at biblicalcitizens.com to learn more. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.